millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Passing Shot, the tennis podcast by fans for fans with Joel and Kim. Today, we are going to be looking back on all the finals actions at the Australian Open, starting with Garbinian Muguruza versus Sophia Kenning, ladies, singles final, a final I don't think we were predicting that going into the tournament, but after it, we've got a new, we've got a new Grand Slam singles champion. We do indeed. Yeah. I, again, no one predicted this. And I think even going into the final, I, I, I'm not sure how many people were predicting Ken. And I think, you know, when it's a, a young, you know, maiden uh, slam debutante against, uh, you know, a former winner of, of slams and a former world number one, you'd always side with experience. So I think perhaps more people were siding that uh, with, with Muguruza on this one. But and after the first set, I thought, oh, OK, it might be plain sailing. But Kenin does what she does best. And she she just upped her level, fought for everything. And, you know, just her attitude, you know, never give up, never die, like just absolutely go for it. And that proved to be the decisive factor. And Muguruza just couldn't couldn't handle it in the end. She was the one that grumbled. Um, and Kenin just came came through and, yeah, deserved it. Absolutely. I think the, the 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 turning point was in that third set. I think Muguruza was like love forty up. She was, um, yeah. In, in earlier in the earlier in uh, in the set, I uh, like two. I think it was two all, two and, one or two all. Yeah, and you thought, oh, here we go. Like yeah. you know, she's getting the crucial break. But exactly. Kenin no, produced Kenin like the best like, five shots of her I, life to take those break points and win that game. I mean, game. that was some serious. That was some serious pressure there, and she handled it expertly with yeah she hit like back double-handed backhand winner down line another double-handed backhand winner down line then a forehand down the line winner uh it was it wasn't like Muguruza you know Muguruza showed her experience you know, she was playing those points really well but Kenny just came up with the answers and for me it that was the turning point because that showed you know Muguruza's like I'm Kenny I'm you know I'm not going to be broken uh, and yeah, she kind of from there ran ran away with it, and that was almost yeah the the decisive point. And we now have a new uh, new champion. I think she's the youngest Australian Open champion since Maria Sharapova back in two thousand and eight. And yeah, I think she's just a very fearless competitor. I know there was a lot of talk in the build up around you know her being a you know a child prodigy. You know she was you know marked out to being um, you know a very talented individual from a young age, and it's almost like this is this uh, winning uh, her maiden Grand Slam. It's a bit. It's like icing on the cake. It's almost like she's fulfilled her potential at twenty one years old. 
Yeah, there was a lot, you know, when she was a child of her, um, was, I think she was hitting with Andy Roddick and there's that video with her and like Kim Clijsters <laughs> that's been going around the internet. Have and you it's... seen that video? The one, I'm, I just watched the one on, for the ten, a Tennis Channel interviewer interviewing Kenan about how, like a seven-year-old Kenan about mm. how you return Andy Roddick's serve. Yeah. It was really funny because like, I think the uh, commentator was like, expecting like some sort of hilarious like seven-year-old jokey sort of answer but she was like full-on serious about right i'm gonna stand here on court and i'm gonna return it regardless of how how quick it is yeah and i, I just think it's also what's crazy is that she could potentially be playing clysters you know later on in the year when clysters you know eventually makes her comeback which would be quite funny but yeah because of again yeah she was hailed as like a child prodigy you know with all these you know videos and stuff when she was about seven eight but She's kind of gone under the radar, you know, compared to people like Coco Goff. And there's not really been so much attention on her. So not so much of a spotlight. Most people probably wouldn't really have known known her name. Uh, and it was only, you know, this time last year, really, that she kind of really made a name for herself, I suppose, because she won, I think, the was it Auckland or Hobart? Like last year, I think she won that. Yeah, it was Hobart that she won. And then, you know, she obviously beat Serena at Roland Garros last year, which obviously got her up on more people's radar but I certainly wouldn't have expected her to have got a slam so soon and I think she's quite unassuming like you can I don't think she's sort of one that's naturally comfortable with with the spotlight and I think maybe that's why there hasn't been so much attention on her but I just think that's probably helped her she just gets on the court and and plays her game and and that's what she's focused on which is good because you know you don't want too much distraction to kind of I don't know put extra added pressure on you yeah, it's not been like a Bianca Andreescu sort of meteoric rise. It's been a more sort of, you know, she's produced some eye-catching results, as you said, beating Serena Williams at the French Open. I think she picked up, you know, scalps over uh, Barty and Osaka last year on the tour. But it's been a more of a steady and progressive rise. And this is just kind of almost cementing that, you know, that further rise up the rankings, because I think now she'll enter into the top 10, um, at number seven in the world and yeah interestingly she will actually displace I mean I think her idol as well as her rival Serena Williams um, as the top ranked woman in, in the US I think they're playing Fed Cup uh, together I think that will be her next tournament but um, yeah I think it's been a you know it's not been one of those sort of out of nowhere rises and it's been a more kind of measured rise I mean obviously she's still got a lot further to go and you know only 20 21 years old I mean world number seven can she reach world number one do you think I think so I think it's certainly possible I think she could win more slams I don't know how how quickly that would happen I I, I think you know when we've had quite a lot of maiden slam winners over the last few years <laughs> and I, I think it's dangerous to sort of suddenly proclaim someone as like the next big thing and but I think yeah I think Kevin is like a quietly confident you know, character of steel and, you know, that really shows on the court, you know, she's really like going for it and, you know, her attitude is like amazing. But off the court, I think she's just quite, she seems quite calm and composed, but I hope that doesn't change in the sense of all the added media pressure now on her, you know, going into sort of Roland Garros and it that can be difficult to deal with. So it remains to be seen what's what's going to happen. Because I think you look at a player like Kenin and then across the net, you've got someone like 
Gabinia Muguruza. And, you know, Kenin doesn't look the most imposing on a tennis court. You know, it does, she doesn't look like, um, you know, like physically, you know, she's not as tall as Muguruza or, um, you know, she doesn't look as kind of, um, you know, her presence, you know, her presence on the tennis court maybe isn't as, you know, intimidating. But having said that, she's able to generate so much power from her, her ground strokes and it almost catches, I think it almost catches players off guard. And I think, you know, in the final, Muguruza was caught off guard by the fact that, you know, she can change the tempo, you know, whenever she wants in the rally and she can, you know, hit winners from, you know, different, obviously from different, uh, different parts of the court. And I think it's that sort of, surprise and you know that unexpectedness you get with you know with with Kenin that makes her such a dangerous a dangerous person to 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 have a you know to have as your opponent yeah I suppose people won't be underestimating her as much now will they <laughs> but yeah I've always got the sense of her bit she seems a bit like shy on the court in, in the sense of you know she wears her cap quite low down I, I think and it's almost I always feel like she's trying to hide her face or something but Maybe she just, I mean, you know, obviously she's expressive and shows her emotions, but I don't know. I always got the sense that, yeah, she was trying not, to, you know, she's trying very hard not to sort of be do it in a big and brash way. Um, I don't know, maybe as a natural introvert, I sort of maybe sense that in her. I don't know. I've, no, I've never met her, but um, that's just kind of the impression that I always got. So, yeah, now that she's going to be, you know, now she's a Grand Slam champion and maybe most casual fans will, will have heard of her name now, you know, that she's going to get a lot more attention. Because um, I think, you know, if people were to, if she was to walk past a group of people at Wimbledon, a lot of people would, would probably not, you know, recognise her, but that's going to all start to change now that she's, you know, she's uh, she's won this. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, with someone like Kenin, yeah, almost kind of the... the the sky's the limit because you know she's 21 years old she's only she's only going to get better um you know as long as she can say you know injury free which you know we've not we've not seen her you know take you know long time time periods off like someone like Andreescu in the past mm. so i think you know i think this season you know she's got a really good she's obviously built a really good platform by winning the Australian Open and it'll be interesting to see how how she goes from there can she kind of transfer this to you know, to, to all the other court surfaces. I know that she's won titles on, on different surfaces. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, can she replicate the same sort of form on a grass court? Can she replicate the same sort of form on a clay court? Um, because that will, I think that will be a real testament of whether she can stick in, in the top 10. Um, so yeah, but a word on, just quickly, a word on Muguruza, who, again, a player you know, was unseeded going into the tournament bageled in the first round (laughs) first set first set um you know i think she was carrying a viral illness it was all kind of set up for a it it felt like it was all kind of set up for muguruf that crashes out in the first round but but yeah i think she she had three top 10 wins um over the last fortnight getting to the final uh, you know again very impressive performance i think she'll be a little bit disappointed i mean I think she was quite said, gutted because in her speech, you know, after she, I think she was trying hard, like not to cry. And it was quite difficult for her to sort of produce words at, at the start. But I think she should be really proud because obviously the influence of Conchita Martinez has, has been, you know, obviously noticeable with, with her form. And I did feel like, you know, the end of the match, you know, she started hitting quite a lot of double faults. It was a shame that the match ended on a double fault. And I did think, oh, maybe it's in Muguruza's mind, you know, how, you know, how, terrible she was last year really in comparison to 
you know the best form that she can produce because I think you know the whole of last I think since about May or July last year so the end of the year she only won I think six matches and obviously at Australian Open she she'd won six in one tournament this year so it just goes to show like the the, the ups and the downs of her of her form and her career so I'm sure she's you know she's going to be back in the top 20 so she you know shouldn't be unseated at like the next slam and I mean hopefully her form will continue I'm sure it will because I'm you know I I think she'll be disappointed with this final but she seems like she's gonna I don't think we're gonna see a sudden drop again not with Conchita Martinez in her in her corner. Yeah and I think one of the one of the questions in a post-match interview was around do you feel that you know you've 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 come back and you know she was kind of saying well I, I was I was still here you know I was on the tour but I don't know. For me, it does it does genuinely feel like Muguruza is back, and you know she was away and she wasn't doing very well. But you know, we, we are with her performances, which have been yeah, have def- definitely been up and down. But I do feel like she is. I do feel like she is back this season, and hopefully, yeah, she can kind of continue. She can kind of continue replicating this form across like all of the tournaments that she plays in. Because I think you know, for her, the biggest the biggest issue is you know it's, it's it's there for everyone to see it is consistency and um you know hopefully with someone like martinez in her corner hopefully she can you know be consistent across you know the grand slams the wta premieres um you know all the events that she plays because you know she she could have been of you know we could have been talking about her today as one as one slam away from from completing the set so, you know, she's obviously got the talent and the ability to play across all the, you know, different different surfaces. But yeah, I think she'll just be she'll be a little bit disappointed that, you know, she wasn't able to kind of get the, the Australian Open on her resume. And we've also had the men's final as well between Dominic Team and Novak Djokovic. Novak Djokovic coming out the victor in a five set thriller uh, to win his 17th Grand Slam championship eighth overall at the Australian Open. Truly remarkable. But Kim, he was definitely made to work very hard for it. It felt like, to be honest, I think he came back from two sets to one down. I think that was the first time in his career in a Grand Slam final he's ever done that. It it, it was, yeah. I saw that statistic and I thought, well, I was quite shocked actually because I just thought he would have, you know, he's been in so many finals, he would have been in that position. But um, yeah, at, at two sets to one down, you know, it did seem like Djokovic was... I don't know, possibly injured or ill. He, he, the doctor came out onto the court and then Djokovic went off the court at the end of, I think it was the third set for, for, for a, a lot longer than normal. And people weren't really sure if he was having, you know, treatment or if it was a medical timeout. Didn't know what was going on, but he did, he did seem a bit off. He didn't seem quite himself throughout the whole match, to be quite honest with you. Um, but it just goes to show that despite team looking like he might actually be on for the win, you know, Djokovic clawed his way back and and just kind of upped it for the last, you know, two sets. And he he is still unbeaten in Australian Open finals. And it just goes to show you, like, he wasn't at his best today, but he did still enough found a way. to win. He still found exactly. a way. Um, Even with the shot, cl- the serve clock against him. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. He was getting all uptight about that. You know, the umpire gave him a you know, time violation for, you know, for taking too long to serve. And we know that that rattles, you know, both him and, and Nadal 
like just I think it's more the, the timing of when the violation is given because we know they take their sweet time serving but it, it seems you know it's it's like when the umpire chooses to give it and um yeah Djokovic was not pleased and uh, there was a bit of a contro- controversial moment at the change of ends he he went and, and tapped the the foot of the umpire which actually does cross the rules of the game you're not supposed to touch the the umpire like I, I think people a lot of people were saying that that could be construed as as a sort of physical you know interaction or, or aggression towards the umpire which, which would be I think a twenty thousand dollar fine or or something along those lines <laughs> I'm sure he can I'm sure he can afford it but yeah I certainly think like during that match it, it, it ebbed and flowed and you know he was he was distracted by you know things whether it was the serve goal whether it was the crowd whether it was the you know the umpire and you know Dominic team you know he's a he's a great competitor and ah oh, you know he'll be frustrated you know two sets to one up you know, he would have won it if it was a you know best of three set final but um you know he he definitely he had his he had his chances and you know i think given that he's obviously not won a grand slam before i think you know listening to kind of his words afterwards it just sounds like you know he's aware that you know he lives in this era at the moment of you know the big 3 and you know winning a grand slam in this era actually means so much more to kind of achieve it with the sort of kind of legends of the game like Novak, like Nadal and, and Federer. It makes it that much sweeter, um, but it also makes it that much harder as well because, you know, he, I think, you know, he, he, he gave a really good account of himself. I, you know, I think kind of, he went break, he went, um, you know, he went break, uh, a breakdown in the first set, you know, and, and he came back and, you know, he was, he kind of showed his, you know, he showed his you know, qualities that, uh, you know, I, I would, I can't, I, you know, really like to see. And I think, um, yeah, he, uh, he gave a good account of himself. Yeah. It was just a bit, a bit, bit frustrated. He, he couldn't do yeah, it. Yeah. He wasn't quite at his best. Uh, and, but neither was Novak. So I think team will be ruining it a bit in the sense that you could tell Novak was, was a bit rattled. Yeah. Like you said, the crowd who were, majority against him as we've seen we've seen that before but I think you know it's not just the fact that maybe maybe, I don't know it's a lot of hoo-ha about Djokovic you know not having a a massive fan base like Federer and Nadal but I guess I think a lot of the crowd as well you know they wanted to see a fresh face winning a you know new champion and team is a very likable guy Um, but yeah knowing that your opponent down the other end is a bit rattled, maybe not quite physically 100%. You know, that is a real opportunity. And if you compare it to how Djokovic performed in the final against Rafa last year, like he hit, I think, nine unforced errors over the whole match. Like he absolutely played just sensational. Novak was not on that kind of form today. Um, But I mean, arguably, you know, Novak knows he can beat Rafa fairly comfortably on a hardcore uh, slam these days. Whereas team, you know, having that really good kind of recent head-to-head against Novak and having beaten him twice at the French Open, obviously probably a bit more of a mental challenge for Novak, um, despite Novak going into this match, you know, as seven-time champion on this court. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah. I think like you said, absolutely correct about the significance of winning a Grand Slam in this era. It's probably, I don't know, one Grand Slam in the big three era is probably the equivalent of maybe like three or four slams. I don't know, pre or post big three. I don't know if you want to quantify it. We've kind of seen, you know, this is the second consecutive slam. You know, the US Open, we had Medvedev really kind of push, you know, Nadal to the limit, you know, five sets. Australian Open, 
team has pushed Djokovic, you know, to the absolute limit. It feels like, you know, the guys outside of the big three are certainly knocking on, knocking on the door if, you know, if they get that chance in, in the Grand Slam final. But at the moment, they've still not, you know, not found that way just to get them, you know, just to get them over, the, you know, just to get them over the line. And, you know, I think, you know, Novak in his, in, in his kind of acceptance, uh, his acceptance speech was kind of just saying, you know, Dominic team, great competitor, fully expect him to win multiple, multiple Grand Slam titles. Would you agree with that? Where would yeah. you, where, do you, where I, do you think his best chances lie? Because, you know, I think, uh, to be honest, he's excelled my expectations of him on a, you know, on a hardcore at the Australian Open. You know, as I, as I said, you know, during our preview, I wasn't really expecting him to get to, you know, the final. Um but I still feel like, you know, a, a clay court, I think it does bode well for him on a on a clay court. Yeah, I think it does bode well for him at Roland Garros. And, um, you know, everyone always said like that would be the first slam that he, he would win. And, you know, arguably he would be you know, the second favourite to win after Rafa. You'd probably put team above Djokovic for, for kind of capturing Roland Garros. But I think he's he could be on for the US Open team. I mean, if you think about the calendar this year, you've got the Olympics and... Like I know Djokovic is obviously missing an Olympic gold medal, so I imagine that's probably quite high up on his radar. Uh, Federer as well, wanting that singles gold, and you know a lot of players be focused on the Olympics. So come the U.S. Open, will they will they have sort of exhausted themselves? That could bode well for team who's not actually playing the Olympics. So um, I don't know if that was part of his like wider game plan, <laughs> but I'd certainly see team winning. At least, you know, a couple of slams. I think, I think, you know, like Andy Murray, like he had what three slam finals that he lost before he ended up, you know, getting his first one. And then once he kind of overcome that hurdle, you know, he he went on to win several. So I certainly see team in that kind of position, um, like just at the moment, kind of behind the big three, but being perhaps arguably the the one to to be the more dominant when they take, when they finally go. I mean, that's kind of what you're paying for at the moment, isn't it? If you're like the next cohort coming through. It's, but I think I also, do think it's, yeah. do, you, sorry, do, you, do you feel like there's, you know, the big three are kind of, they're very reluctant to give up their mantle, aren't they? You know, they're, they're, know. They're, it's they're a race reluctant. amongst themselves for the most, you know, grand slams. And I think that's added motivation, especially for Djokovic to finish their career with the most so that's they're definitely not going to let up anytime soon and I think you could see that today with Djokovic he he was very defiant yes I certainly I mean I think he's now the first ever player in the open era to have won a grand slam title at one event in three different decades so it just shows you his longevity and his you know his marvel on a on a Hardcore at the Australian Open. He's won a title there in the 2000s. He's won a title there in the 2010s. And now he's won a title there in, in the 2020s. So, you know, it just shows you that, yeah, they are just like, they're just going to, they're going to hold on to the trophies as long as they can. But, you know, going back to your point on kind of, you know, Andy Murray, you know, it took him a few finals to really get to grips with, you know, what the task is at hand to beat, you know, one of these sort of, you know, legends of, of the game. You know, Dominic Team as well is probably in a, in a similar situation to Murray now where, you know, 2018 French Open, he didn't win a set in the final against Nadal. Last year, French Open again, he actually took Nadal to four sets, still lost. And now 
in Melbourne, uh, he, he's taken Djokovic to five sets. So, you know, he's learning all the time and in, and you can see that in, in the scoreline. He's taken a, you know, one more set each time. So I wonder, you know, if next time he gets to a Grand Slam final, will he actually now have, you know, enough experience and enough sort of, um, you know, enough sort of, uh, yeah, experiences to, to recollect and to kind of channel his, his focus because, um, yeah, it feels like now he, he, he can win. He can win any tournament he goes into, whether you know, including Grand Slam. Can he win Wimbledon? Oh, Where would you put Dominic wow. Team on a grass court? <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if that was the first Slam he wins? <laughs> um, that. You know, strange things have happened. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think yeah, certainly he's he's edging closer, isn't he? With with every opportunity that he's that he's had and uh and we've got to remember that to defeat you know both Djokovic and Nadal or you know two of the big three in in a slam it's only Stan the man that's done it and that one as well you know it was the final of the AO 2014 against Rafa Rafa basically did his back in I think during the warm-up of that match so I don't know there's a bit of a question mark about that but I mean and Del Potro did it back in 2009 US Open he beat uh, Rafa and Federer so I think I think that's a really good point because it's like you know we can you know look in the history books and look at you know the the final on the day but <laughs> the reality is you know someone like Medvedev or um or team the reality is they're probably actually going to have to come through you know two of two of the three and to kind of do that turnaround you know face one you know maybe in the semi-final then one in the final or, or whatever you know that is a really you know if you're you can understand why, you know, the significance of winning a Grand Slam, a men's Grand Slam in this era must feel a lot sweeter because you're really having to kind of go, probably go through some very, very stern tests, um, uh, you know, you know, in, in consecutive rounds. Yeah, Stan's probably feeling quite smug right now because <laughs> he's uh, it's currently in a sort of special club of his own. But yeah, I mean, it was an entertaining match. Um, I thought kind of beforehand that it probably would be Djokovic um, and that, it, you know, but it would probably go four or five sets. And it's interesting that we didn't actually have any sets that, you know, went to a tie break because, you know, team's been very dominant on tie breaks in his last uh, two matches. So um, perhaps if he'd have just got it all to tie breaks, he would have done it. But um, yeah, it, it was a, it was a good final. And um, actually, just a, a mention of for our collector set. I think you know a lot of people who took part in our predictions challenge. Obviously, we'd put uh, Djokovic down as one of the players, and pretty much across the board, I think most people predicted him to win. And so it's a big. He was the only one green. I got right. Yeah, the only one really? I got right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I should yeah. just say at this point, we do have a winner. Uh, that's Adam D. So um, we'll be in touch with Adam uh, about that uh, soon. So congratulations to Adam. He got four out of six correct. Uh, and there was three others that got uh, three out of six correct as well. Um, so yeah, thank you to everyone for taking part in that. And again, Novak Djokovic, 17, 17th Grand Slam title. Is he is he going to overtake Federer? Is he going to overtake Nadal? Nadal currently on nineteen, Federer on twenty. I do feel like it's a matter of time, but uh, I will have to wait and see. So let's talk doubles now, Joel, because we have a British Grand Slam champion in the men's doubles, which is very exciting. Uh, Joe Joe Salisbury and uh, his partner Rajiv Ram have won the men's doubles at the Australian Open. 
Uh, and they had a pretty comfortable final, actually. 6-4, 6-2 against the Aussie wildcards, Purcell and Saville. Um, wrapped it up in 70 minutes. Um, first first Grand Slam title for Joe. And I think it's Rajiv Ram's first men's doubles title. Um, so absolutely fantastic. I'm so pleased for the both. Um, and especially for Joe Salisbury. I mean, he's now, you know, Britain's top doubles player. I think he's going up to number four in the world. And uh, yeah. He deserves it. They've had a, they've had a great 2019, and this will just top it all off. All their hard work over the last 12 months. Yeah, I think they made the most of. I think they made the most of their draw. I think you know we're going. I feel like we're getting to a point where we're almost going through a state of transition with men's doubles. You know, Brian Brothers are um, you know retiring after the US Open next year. I think you know some of the more established teams. I think maybe this season we'll be starting to make their way for for more up and coming pairs, and you know I think at the at the very front of that list is Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram, who you know I think their you know their partnership started last year and it was you know was very successful in terms of capturing titles on the tour, and again this is just another another step up with um, you know capturing their first well hopefully first of many. Grand Slab titles. Interestingly, on on Rajiv Ram as well, I think victory must feel especially as sweet for him because in terms of attempts before winning first Grand Slam men's doubles title, Rajiv Ram is top of that list. It's 58 attempts. So I I assume he's he's been in the men's doubles competition at a Grand Slam 58 times, not won any of them. And then lo and behold, gets Joe Salisbury and is, a, is able to is able to do it. <laughs> Blessing in disguise. Yeah, I mean, and Ram's only 35, which for men's doubles is actually relatively young, I think, because yeah. a lot of the, like you were saying, a lot of the established pairings on the tour are getting on a bit, for want of a better expression. Um, so we've got, yeah, the Bryans retiring, and then, you know, you've got, like, yeah, the Herbert and, and Mahoos of the world. I mean, they're still going strong. They, they seem lost in the first round here, but... Um, in a, you know, over the next couple of years, yeah, they they probably, you know, I don't know how much longer they'll be around. So actually, Joe is only twenty seven. He's got he's got a lot of time left on the double circuit. So I'm um, hopefully he can he can add on add add to this. And it, I just hope their partnership keeps keeps going strong and they uh, you know remain like free from injury and can can go forward. I mean, it'd be lovely to see him you know get a Wimbledon title. Um, but yeah, let's not get ahead of ourselves. It's just great to great to see them pick up the title here. And uh, you know, I remember seeing Joe Salisbury years ago. I think when he was still kind of trying to to play singles, basically. I think I saw him at a challenger. He'd got a wild card, and uh, yeah, it's just a, really nice to see the transition that he's made over to doubles. And it must be quite a difficult decision to make because I'm sure you know, for most tennis players, you. You expect to kind of be playing singles, don't you? And you sort of eventually get to that point where you think, well, if I'm going to survive on the tour, I'm going to need to focus on doubles because that's where I'm actually, you know, perhaps more naturally um, positioned to be and can, can have more success. So it's just, yeah, it's really nice that it's it's paid off and, you know, his, it, it's come through for him. So, um, yeah, a fantastic result. And we almost had a second British slam winner because Jamie Murray was in the mixed doubles final with Bethany Matic-Sands. But frustratingly, they lost that one on a, on a match tie break. Um, and that kind of ran away from them, really, in, in that match tie break. It was 10-1 to um, Barbora Krachichkova and Nikola Mektic, who I think were like the fifth seeds. Um, they, they came through, yeah, very comfortable in that tie break. It was a bit of a shame, in a way, that 
it ended on a match tie break and it wasn't a full third set. Yeah, I think it was very it was a very fluctuating sort of match, wasn't it? I think both both teams had their moments. I think Matic Sands and Jamie Murray will be disappointed because they won they won the first set and you would have hoped that they could have just kind of carried that through. But you know, their opponents obviously very, very competitive and, and came through on their day. And I think, you know, with Jamie Murray it was interesting because I think if if he had won it, I think I think I saw correct me if I'm wrong, King, there were headlines around he could have become like the most successful Grand Slam win British British Grand Slam winner in terms of titles. Oh. Which I thought was quite which I thought was quite interesting given, you know, the number of mixed doubles and and men's doubles titles he has won. Um so, you know, we always get to a point where there's this you know, it could be there's a rivalry between you know, Jamie Murray, obviously, and 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 his and and Skupski, I guess, in in the men's doubles, and, and Joe Salisbury. But yeah. um, it does feel like you know, with Jamie Murray, it's like he's he can he's a great doubles player, and and his his legacy is going to be you know, you know how well he has done at the you know at in doubles grand slams across, and slams across and the board, and hopefully inspiring you know future generations of doubles players because you know if you're at the very top of the doubles game, like. Fantastic. I mean, they never get as much attention or, or prize money as, you know, their singles compatriots, but I love watching a bit of doubles. You know, I think it's I think it's great, especially if you're at a slam like in person and you know, like the second week, you can just find a court, sit down, comfortable, and get some absolutely cracking matches, especially at Wimbledon, because you know, they've marathon matches in the doubles there. Um but interestingly, Barbara Krochichkova, she apologies if I'm saying that name incorrectly, uh my, my my Czech pronunciation probably leaves a lot to be desired, but um, she she won the mixed doubles here last year with Rajiv Ram. So um, I think she joked saying, you know, Ram had decided not to compete in the mixed event here, which is probably just as well for Joe Salisbury. Uh, obviously paid off by focusing just on the men's doubles. Uh, so Krititschkuba teamed up with Mektic, but obviously, you know, it, it didn't matter for her. She was you know, she doesn't, she wins regardless of her partner, it seems. So, um, yeah, she um, she's had a great, a great, um, great past few years. And, uh, yeah, obviously Ram had, had, I think he's won quite a few mixed titles, but obviously this was his first men's double. So, um, and then we've got the ladies doubles as well, which was a very one-sided affair. Um, perhaps a bit surprisingly, I thought this might be quite a close match considering it was the top two seeds against each other. But, um, yeah, Babos and Mladenovic absolutely stormed through the final 6-2, 6-1 against Sue Weishay and Barbora Stritzkova. Um, that was actually on Friday night and they had to play that under the roof because um, they actually called the, the heat policy into force on Friday. Um, but yeah, absolutely trounced the world number ones. That's surprising, so, yeah. Yeah, what I thought it would be a much closer affair. Or something, or? <laughs> I know, yeah. Um, so that's their second title in Australia. And uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, I mean both of those teams are, are real forces to be reckoned with. But I suppose Babel Shumladenovic on the head-to-head, have the edge. Yeah, on the day, they were just much more impressive. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a shame that they, I mean, neither of those pairings are, you know, just in terms of like looking ahead to the Olympics, you know, neither of them are country-based pairings. Are there? I don't know how else to explain it, but it's, um, you know, you sort of, they're going to have to split it up and, and find other partners for the Olympics. But um, but yeah, let's let's look at some other results, Joel, because we've obviously had a whole host of finals over the weekend. Uh, maybe some some notable results from the juniors: uh, Victoria Jimenez Katsintseva 
from Andorra. She won the junior girls title at putting Andorra on the map because I think she's the first Grand Slam champion from Andorra Amazing. in Love any that. competition. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she was <laughs> playing. Dancing and singing in the streets of Andorra, no well, doubt. Yeah, street parties, you name it. <laughs> um, she played Poland's Veronica Bajak, um, one in three sets against her. And I think, you know, she's actually was the youngest player in the junior event. She's only 14 years old. So, you know, making history twice, really. Um so, uh, yeah, I, I think she, she trains in Barcelona and I think she's got a Russian mother and speaks a whole host of languages and, you know, <laughs> puts us all to shame. But, um, yeah, very interesting uh, Andorra fact there. And then the men, uh, the boys' title was won by Harold Mayo of France. Uh, and actually that was a f- all French final because he was playing Arthur Cazot fellow French player um, to win that's that one. France, in, in just have a con- France just have a conveyor belt of like players at different <laughs> at different stages. Like they got their they got the old guys, they got the guys that are coming up, and then they got the juniors as well. And uh, yeah. yeah, this is just I guess this is just testament to such that. depth in French tennis. Absolutely. Yes, and also we had the wheelchair uh, finals as well. So ladies doubles. Um, apologies if I'm saying this wrong. Yui Kimiji uh, won her third Australian Open wheelchair doubles title with Jordan Wiley, um, who picked up her first trophy uh, since becoming a mother. So great, great for them. And to be fair, it's been it's been great. Uh, Australian Open has been great success in the doubles for the Brits, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Across, Jordan across Wiley. Yeah. yeah um, so Jordan Wiley. Yeah, she obviously won with her partner. Um, they beat your favourites, Joel De Groot uh, and Van Coot in the final. <laughs> love a good uh, but, rhyming doubles. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, Jordan Wiley's yeah first first title since you know coming back from giving birth. So great for her and we also had British success in the men's wheelchair doubles with Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reed uh, winning that one they beat the French top seeds Houdet and Pfeiffer um, and that's actually their first AO um, doubles crown but annoyingly and frustratingly and I don't know uh, yeah, I didn't controversially, know this. I, controversially yeah, I was... yeah Alfie Hewitt cannot cannot continue um, beyond this year because he's been told by I guess it's the ITF that his disability is not severe enough any you know for him to compete in yeah, so he now, even though he's in a wheelchair so he's like now in this gray what he's now in this gray zone where he can't can't compete it doesn't yeah so he what, says um, he can't compete on his feet so the only option is for him to play wheelchair tennis but he said there's like no classification that is where he fits into now they've changed the rules um which is just ridiculous. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't know how you can change the rules suddenly when they've obviously been in place for the last, I don't know, however many years. And he's, he's only 22. Like, what's he going to do now? I mean, I don't know if he can appeal or it's just such a shame. I, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I was, yeah, really quite sad for him when I, when I heard that news. And um, just a note on the singles as well, Yui Kamiji, Jordan Wiley's doubles partner. She also won the singles uh, in the wheelchair. Uh, event beating Van Coot. and Shingo Kuneda um, won the men's singles so that's his 10th AO trophy so Japan in the wheelchair singles um, absolutely cleared up with the titles there and that he beat Gordon Reed in the final so um, yeah and then Dylan Alcott um, also has, has made 
history in the quad wheelchairs because he's won six straight AO titles. Um, and obviously he's Australian. He's a, you know, home favourite. And uh, yeah, he's sort of like the Novak Djokovic of quad uh, quad wheelchairs when it comes to, to Melbourne because he's extremely dominant. And uh, I think actually Novak came onto court when um, the trophy was presented to Dylan. So that was a nice moment to see the two kind of kings of of Rod Laver Arena, I suppose, uh, together. So that was nice. And I think they're donating quite a lot of the prize money to, you know, the bushfire uh, cause as well. So, so yeah, great weekend of tennis, Joel. And uh, I can't believe it's all over. It sort of just flies by, doesn't it? I think, you know, I think the takeout here is that, you know, before we were wondering, oh, is this event even going to take place because of the smoke? And, you know, it started on such a kind of, like on a negative note, you know, with the, you know, the qualifying and the fact that they played through really bad levels of smoke and, you know, it's right. They should have, I think they should have done more. There should have been more protection there. But since then, I think it's, it's certainly delivered, you know, come the, the main, you know, the main draws. And certainly over the last fortnight, we've seen some excellent, some excellent tennis. Um, and I hope you've enjoyed listening to our round by round coverage as well um, of the Australian Open with the passing shop. Um, if you have enjoyed uh, listening to us, feel free to drop us a rating and a comment uh, if you're listening to us on iTunes. Of course, you can subscribe to us elsewhere on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to if you want to uh if you want to stay up to date in the tennis world make sure you follow us as well on social media at passing shot pod on facebook twitter and instagram but kim i think now i think we i mean we've gone into overdrive in terms of <laughs> in terms of the podcast over the last two weeks i think we can have a, a little bit of a rest but uh yeah we will be back i'm sure further down the road with some more some more content to keep you up to date on the tennis world and i think we've got an interview lined up as well but we'll we'll keep you up to date uh on that as well so uh yeah we've got some interesting content in the pipeline so uh look out for that kim any final words no, uh, I'm, it's time for a holiday, I think, Joel. Um, it's It's been so intense. No, <laughs> um, I'm sure everyone who's been getting up at odd hours of the day in Europe to watch the tennis will be happy that they can go back to their normal sleep schedule and, and, and routine now. And, you know, January is over, which is another reason to celebrate. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and who? Hey, who knows? It will be, I don't know, Roland Garros before you know it. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to a couple of weeks sort of break and then yeah we'll be back to to cover um the the never-ending tennis store hey (laughs) exactly but for now thanks for listening and goodbye planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.